It's O U G Talks, yeah. O U G Talks. So, hi, welcome to this week's episode of the One Up Game podcast. Unfortunately, we're going to have a, a different episode this week. I'm just going to grab two interviews we did. One with Nicole Hunt about their new game that will be coming out pretty soon, the Maximum Cars. And another one with Don Wilkins about their new game, or his new game, Stellar Tactics, which I believe is just about to go into early access on Steam. So, yeah, unfortunately, one of the team members will not be back. I kind of, like, sacked them. And another one, Chris, he's flying from sort of like New Zealand over to the UK, I think it's today, so I'll, I'll let him off. So hopefully from next week we'll have a steady stream of new content coming. But in the meantime, enjoy these two interviews that we did a couple of months ago. So from me, David from Water Gaming, thank you, and we'll see you next week. Sometimes it might feel like humanity is being crushed by rampaging bears. Sometimes it may seem like dinosaurs will grip your body and tear it to pieces. We're back with One Up Gaming, and this week we've got. Well, I guess I'll just sort of say you can introduce yourself. Okay. So, who are you and what do you do? As you gulp a big, massive bottle of wine. <laughs> <laughs> um, hi there, I'm Nicole Hunt. 
Um, I'm a computer game developer. I have been for a long time, but recently I started um, going alone. So I used to work for big companies, now I work for myself. Um, I started a company called I Fight Bears, who our first title was um, a game called Fist of Awesome, which is a time-traveling lumberjack em up where you punch bears in the face to save humanity, which was like way more successful than it needed to be. So thanks to that, I've developed a lot of um, good relationships, and I'm working full-time for myself in my shed in the back garden, making more weird games with a kind of crazy sense of humour. So, I mean, the first question I've got is, basically, you just basically said, so with Fist of Awesome doing so well, was it actually more than you could ever dream how well it did? Um, well, I could definitely dream of doing better. Let's, let's not get carried <laughs> away. It did well. It, it definitely did better than I possibly even thought it would do. Um, so, Fist of Awesome basically meant I could not work for two years if I wanted to, which is pretty pretty impressive. But um, at the same time Fist of Awesome did incredibly well, my wife got pregnant. And so we made the decision, or I made the decision, um, to not um, kind of go 100% full-blown in the computer game thing and said, take that money and buy a house. So we bought a house. And um, I almost thought I'd have to give up the kind of indie computer game dream because all of the money for Festivals at that point I then just go into this house and I still needed to make money to pay for rent and pay the mortgage and um, buy food and stuff like that. But fortunately, um, I've, I found um, a little kind of unexpected partnership with an animation company in London called T&G's, which are two guys called Jamie and Liam, and, um, and their friend Dimitri, who um, has a company called Asian Games, who fund all of T&G's endeavors recently in computer games and so uh, and we kind of all got together and they're making games with those guys so i get paid to make awesome fun computer games and it's all kind of worked out amazingly well so we've got a house i get to still make computer games um and it's it's a very nice setup and so we just announced our most recent game so we made a game called ape at water slide last year which again did probably better than it even deserves to do but it's a, it's a really fun um fun kind of infinite runner type game but now we're making something super exciting and super ambitious and we're making what we hope will be the best racing game on mobile if not on any platform ever and it's called maximum car so even if the game doesn't work out we have the best name for a racing car game of all time (laughs) so i mean just going back to like your company i fight bears yeah now, I know it's a great like, pun and great little joke, but do you ever think now you wish you had a more serious sort of name, or do you still think it's... Oh, God, no. No, I think it's absolutely <laughs> perfect. I've, I've, never, I've never really wanted to be a professional person. and like, I don't mind being professional as in being good at something, but I don't want to be formal. Um, and even now, so like... I'll, I'll like contact press, talk about games and stuff, and instead of like writing like really formal press releases saying, "Was well, I'm announcing the official announcement of this game? It's going to be a, a, a dungeon crawler, and blah blah." Have these speeches a hundred levels? Like that's just so boring to me. And like doing things kind of like by the book, the way people expect things to be done, is not my style at all. I'd rather be completely unique and try and take people by surprise and do stuff that stands out. And if that means I get to name my company, I fight bears. 
instead of Nickel Hunt Games Incorporated, I'm totally going to call my company I Fight Bears. <laughs> I, I don't regret it for a second. So, you, you've already said the Tea and Cheese. Is that their, yeah. their full sort of That's name? That's their full title, yeah, Tea and Cheese. So, who are they and why should we care? Um, there are two guys called Liam and Jamie. Um, you should care because they're incredibly talented, incredibly funny guys. Um, and before they made computer games, um, they started in film school making cool little short animations. And one of their one of their animations they made was um, a, basically a fake computer game called Eight Bit Water Slide. <clears throat> and so they made like just a little video for YouTube with this little kind of character called Tipler who went on a crazy adventure using stop motion. Um, and it was so funny. This this little guy going in a water slide, getting set on fire, getting stomped on, getting high, super mega hyper boost. So he goes so fast, and he's like barely like holding on. It's really funny. It's got like about half a million views or something, which is pretty good for YouTube, I hear. And so from that, um, their friend Dimitri offered to fund development of an entire computer game. And because like what the, the stuff they produce is so funny and so characterful. I think that's, that was such an awesome idea. And eventually I got involved to help finish off this 8-bit Waterslide game. And, and we just had it off. Because like, I, I like to think I've got a bit of a sense of humour when it comes to like making computer games and stuff. And they've got a sense of humour for making films and animation and sound and music. They're incredible at doing that as well. And so this, the, 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 the three of us together making a game, was it was brilliant. It was one of the best experiences I've had. And it was, I came in near the end of the project as well. Like, I, I, I did a lot of work on it, but the, the game was already there by the time I showed up. Whereas now we're starting from scratch and um, we'll have, like, just times where, like, the, the two guys will come across my office and we'll sit together and we'll just, like, tell each other bad jokes um, and just say, like, if we could make the best game ever, what would that game be? And that's that's what we're trying to do. So, I mean, who actually approached who with this game? Um, well, so they, yeah, I guess they approached me. Um, the origi- originally, they were talking about um, making a kind of kart racing game based on some of their characters they've already designed for their animations. But the more we talked about it and the more we um, kind of like thought about what our inspirations were and what, what would actually stand out and be a unique game that hasn't been done before, um, we started going more towards Burnout. Have you ever played Burnout? Yes. Burnout 3 in particular for me was like just one of the highlights of um, my console gaming. And so we thought, what if, because no one's ever done like a good Burnout game on mobile. Like there's, there's, there's really hardcore sims and there's really, really simple, like just almost lane switching racing games. We're like, well, what if we do something in the middle? So it's, it's, it's arcadey, but it's also not overly simple, but it's not so complicated that you get bogged in the menu system. It's just something that's pure and action and fun. Um, and we went, well, let's do that then. And so we started off making what we hoped would be something like Crossy Road meets Burnout, but it's turned into something else entirely. It's its own beast now. It is genuinely the best game I've ever worked on, and it's nowhere near finished. It's, yeah, I'm very, very excited about working on Maximum Car. Yeah, I mean, my understanding of the Burnout franchise Everyone loved Burnout Paradise, but I hated that game with a passion. Well, the thing about Burnout Paradise Burnout for me was... Burnout 3 I loved. Yeah, like, Burnout 3 for me was just, like, I think it was the peak. After that, like, 
they did they, they added things, but those things didn't always add to the experience. And especially for me, like Burnout Paradise looks beautiful, and when you're racing, it's incredible. But there's a lot of time when you're not racing; you're just driving between races. And for me, that is not some why I play the game. And so what we, what we want to do in Maximum Car is literally get rid of all of the kind of cruft, all of the UI screens, all of the stuff in between. Just get rid of all of that and have as much of the game just be, oh my god, I can't believe this is happening. I'm having so much fun. My eyes are on fire. The smoke coming out of my nostrils. Wah! And just get rid of everything else. Just If it's not fun, it doesn't go in. And just try and make it a pure gaming experience. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that sort of game works so much better. As you say, you don't have to add the full open world. You don't have to add all the traffic lights and all the other bits and bobs mm-hmm. and just get it simple circuit fast and get people ramming into each other, everyone else. And it's just, that's all you need. Yeah, but well, we're lucky because we're, we're coming to this, like this will be the first iteration of this game. So we don't have to add more things to keep people interested. We can just choose the core set and make that as perfect as we can. But me, when it comes to like Maximum Car Five, I'll be like putting in traffic lights and open worlds. But well, we have to put in something. We can't. We can't just. We can't. We've got to justify this game. But right now, we have that freedom of just making the most perfect, pure core of a game. So why the name Maximum Car? Because it's everything. The, the the name honestly is the entire game has come from that name. The cool thing about Maximum Car as a name is it just sounds a bit wrong. It's it sounds a bit stupid, a bit kind of overblown. Maximum Car, like maximum velocity or something like that. That sounds like just a really intense thing. But Maximum Car just sounds like yes, what? And that's what we try to do. We're trying to make a racing game which is like super macho, but at the same time it's also like just stupid and funny and humorous, and it takes you by surprise. Because most racing games, they are what they say they are. Maximum car, something a bit different. So, I mean, looking at the announcement trailer, it looks like the graphical style of like a blocky road sort of thing. Mm. Uh, where it's a bit blocky and square. Yeah. But to me, the game actually looks like a cross between like an Outrun and Burnout. Yeah. Would that be similar to what you sort of say it, it's kind of like yeah like we're, we're inspired by quite a few classic games um, but the graphical style is for two reasons the graphical style is very basic because it means we can create lots of cars fairly quickly because we want to have a huge variety of content in the game and if we focus on just making high quality cars there's not enough of us and we don't have enough time to make many high quality cars so we make stuff that um, is characterful looks cool but it's quick for us to make. So that's one of the, that's the main reason we chose the, the kind of like 3D pixel art voxel style. But when it comes to gameplay, I'd say we're very much inspired by games like Chase HQ, the Burnout franchise, Outrun, stuff that's pure arcade. Like, I'm, I, I wouldn't say we're taking anything from Gran Turismo, I wouldn't say we're taking anything from Forza. It's very much the kind of core arcade racing experience um, and I want to have one thing, one thing that's different to a lot of games is we want the kind of like um, combat element in it but not combat as of like guns as of combat as in smashing cars into other cars and making them explode because there's nothing cooler than stuff exploding and there's one thing I've learned from the Fast and Furious franchise is cars exploding is awesome 
So, I mean, I'm just wondering, when will the game be announced for, like, Steam and the next-generation consoles? We're focusing on iOS and Android to begin with, mainly because we understand those markets and we're confident we can do the best racing game on iOS and Android, because, to be honest, we're already better than every game that we've played. Whereas on, on console and PC, we're going to have to raise our game a little bit. Not much. We're pretty high already. But we've got to raise it a little bit just to beat everything else. So we're kind of holding that back until um, we've got iOS and Android versions done. But I really strongly believe that this game will be on everything um, by next year. Because it's too good not to be. So, I mean, is it virtual buttons or is it like... Tilt controls. Well, I get like um. So I hate uh, virtual controls. If you if you played Fist of Awesome, there's no like kind of buttons you've got to press. There's no little joysticks. It's all based on gestures and swiping and stuff. So you never have to look at your thumbs to know how to play the game. Um, and I hate tilt controls because it's lame. <laughs> so for um for maximum car, we've we've basically tried to decide what's the most basic control scheme that we can implement, but still have a lot of variety in it. And so we're doing clever things. So um, when you're steering, it's the left and right um, side of the screens you press. So you use your thumbs left and right, steer left and right. But there's also drifting. So when you're turning left, if you tap the right-hand side of the screen, you'll, you'll kick at the back end and go into a big drift, which is so cool. And so when you're drifting as well, you're building boost. So when you want to use your boost, you swipe up anywhere on the screen, and that activates the boost. Um, we're maybe going to implement an air brake as well so you can kind of slow down to catch cars and smash into them and stuff. But that, that's the basics. So it's all based on uh, gestures or simple button presses. There's no, um, there's no like virtual steering where you've got to turn. There's no, nothing where you have to slide your finger across the screen to control movement. It's, 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 it's very simple, very instant. Um, and we think it's the best control scheme for um, an arcade racing game on mobile. And I don't think anyone's done it quite to the same level that we're doing it. So you say it's got like a drift mechanic. Yeah. Is it more procedural or is it like real-time sort of thing? It's, it's, you know, like, it's um, I'm trying to think what, what game is best compared to. It's, it's very... Um, yeah, it's, it's not like a kind of canned drift. It's It, it changes the physics slightly. So, um, so you you basically kick the back end out, so you're sliding around corner or sideways, but you still have full control over your car. You can still steer. Um, it's just handled slightly differently, but it feels cool. It feels like you're sliding. I used to work on um, the Colin McRae Rally games um, when I first started out in computer games, and so I used to love the, the, the feeling of drifting around corners in that game, so I've tried to get as close to that as I can, but still very arcadey and not very... It's not not true to life, but it feels right, if you know what I mean. Because, I mean, of my favourite like, game of all times, the Ridge Racer series. Mm. And I loved the drifting in that, which was more... You had no real control, you just started the drifting, you just went around the corner automatically. Yeah, so it's not that. You, you definitely, yeah. You're still in control. And then the spoiled hit with the, the newest Ridge Racer, which the sent out to Bugbear and they did the drift mechanic where you actually had more control over it but because it was too realistic for a Ridge Racer game 
Yeah, um, I'd be interested to see what you think then of um, of Maxim Carr's approach. But everyone I've shown it to is like they just think that the physics are perfect, which is really reassuring because that's the one thing that we spend like a significant amount of time on. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you know, I've completely blanked on the name of it because, especially on mobile, I'll, I'll download a game, I'll play it for twenty minutes, an hour, mm. and I'll uninstall it, and then I'll download something else because I've got a really crap phone and it doesn't. <laughs> have enough memory for anything. But there was a, a racing game released uh, maybe a few months ago that looked very much like Chase HQ. Is it a Horizon Chase? Yes. Yes. And I really did like that. Yeah, Horizon Chase is awesome. I played a lot of that game. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'd say the kind of retro aspects of Horizon Chase, the way it's kind of like arcadey and bright and... ah. We have that, but the, the kind of physics and how it feels to go around cars and stuff, it's, we have a completely different kind of gameplay approach to those guys. But I do love Horizon Chase. I, I think it's a great game. Yeah, I mean, the problem I had with it, I've read some of the user reviews on the iOS, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and it was saying, oh, it's so much like OutRun, it's unbelievable, and this, that, the other. And uh, I downloaded it, and first two minutes, it's like, it's nothing like Outrun. Yeah, it's not. It's a it's a circuit racer. It's it's not like yeah. Outrun. Yeah, that's what. Like maybe visually you know. <laughs> a little bit, but yeah, certainly from gameplay wise, I wouldn't say it's overly similar. Yeah. Um. So back to you. Would you ever shave your beard? Um. Only for a heck of a lot of money, or for charity, or something. Um. The good like. I've always had a little bit of a beard, but since I started doing the whole indie game thing, I noticed I started, like, people remembered me more if I had a big beard. And so it's kind of become part of my image, I guess, as an indie game developer. It's like, oh, who's Nicole Hunt? Oh, is that guy with the beard? Yep, okay, cool. I remember that guy. And so I, I quite like that. I quite like being known for having a big beard. So, um, yeah, no, that has to be a good reason for me to get rid of it. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I don't have the genes for that. I just have like a bit of a clump at the bottom and a bit on the sides. I can't get the full <laughs> facial hair thing going. And I mean, I'd have a guess I'm similar sort of age to you as well. So I don't know. I'm pretty old, dude. Um, coming up thirty-five. I'm thirty. I thought I was thirty-seven, but I'm not. I'm thirty-six. Ah, oh, see, not that <laughs> far off. So, just wondering. How often do you come back up to Scotland? Very rarely, unfortunately. Um, I've not been up this year at all. Um, I started making an effort more to go home. But, um, we go to Ireland quite a lot because my wife's Irish. So that's where most of my travelling seems to go nowadays. It's always the case that, I mean, my girlfriend, like, she lives... Oh, God. It's only about an hour's drive from where my family lives. Mm. But whenever we go back down to England, we always go to her family. <laughs> you know <laughs> so I mean I don't know if you know but the Play Expo them sort of people they're doing a expedition expedi- bloody hell an expo in Glasgow on oh I don't know the, I think the first one they're doing is going to be this year at the beginning or the middle of June just wondering if you'd be interested in attending Potentially. Um, we're trying to do a few different expos this year. So we're, we're definitely going to the Norwich Gaming Festival um, at the start of a- April. And that'll be the first time we show Maxwell McCarr in public. So that's quite exciting. Um, yeah. 
and after that, there's nothing actually officially planned. I'm probably going to go to develop, which is more of a, a games industry type event in Brighton in July. But yeah, potentially. Could potentially take a trip to Glasgow. So do you ever get uh, over to the American sort of expedition? Uh, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Expos. Um, not as much. I've been to GDC, which is the big one in San Francisco. Um, I think it's coming up actually at the start of next month. Yeah. I've been there like three times before and it's awesome, but like it's it's a big ordeal. Like it costs a lot of money to go and you've got to get accommodation and you if you go you've got to really stay for a week and it's it's a big undertaking. Um and so we've got like just a little we've got a little baby just now, so I can't quite justify being away from home. Especially if like there's no real need for me to be there now because 'cause I'm still developing a game, it's not like I'm trying to sell anything. Um or look for funding or anything, so yeah, it's awesome. I, like, I really enjoy doing it, but I, I, I don't really get to go very often. So have you ever been to E3 or any of the big ones? No, I've not. I've only been to GDC in America. I've been to Eurogamer Expo in London quite a few times, but never like the, the big kind of PAX Expos or E3 or anything. I think they've moved that back up to Birmingham for this year. Yeah, they have. It's um, NEC now, isn't it? Which, technically, it's a lot closer to me. But I could get a plane down to London for like 15 quid. Yeah. But to get to Birmingham, it's like 120. <laughs> which is just crazy. Yeah. So, it, I don't know. I mean, I've had tickets to go for the last two or three years, but unfortunately I've had to do work and... I've, oh, no. Because, as you'll know, being up in Scotland, to get all the way down to London... And you have to spend a good two, three days down there and then travel all the way back up. Mm. And, I mean, I don't know if you're aware, but do you know the, the Megabus? Dude, I've done the Megabus. I did the Megabus from Dundee to London. <laughs> it was the worst experience of my entire life. Do you know how long it takes? Like, non-stop, 11 and a half hours. <laughs> 11 and a half hours in a Megabus. It was absolute torture. Me and my friend, uh, John, we went down to see Foo Fighters. But I booked like I booked the the transport at the last minute and like the flights were just so expensive. So we're like, Megabus is like thirty six pounds for both of us to get from Dundee to London. I was like, I'll be fine, I'll be fine. We just it was the worst experience. Like honestly, I would take out a loan next time to get flights. There's no way I'm doing that again. It's utter torture. It's the middle of Wait. summer and there was no air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> just like you're just in this this sweat box for eleven and a half hours, just dying. It was oh god. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I don't I don't make a bus. I travelled from Leeds to Birmingham, which it was only about four and a half hours. But I get travel sick so easy. Oh. So about two hours in, I couldn't move. And then the seats are literally about an inch from your face. Oh, yeah, there's no room. So you can't see anything. You, I'm just feeling dizzy, sick. Oh. Went down to the toilets. It didn't flush. There was no paper. There was nothing. And it was probably the worst four hours of my life. Yeah, I can believe that. I can believe that. So, yeah, Megabus. Amazing. Yeah, this is the worst advert ever for Megabus. <laughs> but the one thing I will say... I think the the train from Thursk to Leeds, which is about 15, 20 minutes, costs £38. And then from Leeds to Birmingham, like four and a half hours, I think we got a return for 15 quid. 
It's cheap. You cannot <laughs> deny that it's cheap. But that was £15 for both of us. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. It's value for money, think, though. <laughs> you really I get what you, you pay for. It was £5 there and £7 back. <laughs> but, oh, that... I couldn't tell you how bad that yeah. was. That's why this time, when I went down to London to do our 60-hour webcast sort of thing, I actually went by plane, because it was only like an hour and a half on the plane. Mm-hmm. And that cost about £100 all in. And I could have got the Megabus for, I think it was like 15 quid there and back. So worth getting the plane. Just, <laughs> just to save your like, own physical well-being, nothing else. And I mean, doing, like, when we did the 60 hours, like, you'd think the easiest thing would be just to sit in the chair and just talk nonsense. Mm -hmm. But after three days in the same chair, you lose complete feeling of, from your, just above your knees Mm -hmm. to your, just above your waist. And you couldn't. You just have, like, do you know, you hear people that have lost a limb, like, they have, like, ghost phantom where they get itch on their arm, but they haven't got an arm. Yeah. It's like that. You, you've got, like, an itch on your on your ass or whatever, but you can't scratch it because it's all completely numb. <laughs> and it's the most uncomfortable I've ever been. And, I mean, literally, for the last three, four hours... I was walking around in circles, muttering to myself, not even knowing what the hell I was saying. (laughs) And then I sort of sat down and I fell asleep sitting up. (laughs) So I can't help but feel we've got off the topic of computer games somewhat now. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, (laughs) to be fair, I've actually managed to go right through the questions. And the only last thing I, I had was basically... Is there any information about Maximum Car that you've not said yet that you're willing to sort of say? Or um, like I don't know, because we're still developing it. There's loads of stuff which we talk about putting in, but may never actually go in. <laughs> so I could, I could say something, but then I could do a Peter and Wall and you, it would never actually be in the game. So um, all I'm going to say is if you check, if you keep keep your eyes on MaximumCar.cool, We'll be putting cool stuff up there. Maximumcar.cool. How awesome is that? That's the website address. I did not know you got .cool websites. I was going to say, when did .cool actually come? I don't know. Because, <laughs> like, we, um, like, when I was constantly like, doing the announcement trailer, we were like, well, we should probably get a website for this because that's what professional people do. We were like, okay, cool. Like, let's get maximumcar.com. I was like, oh, it's taken. What? .co.uk. Taken. What? And I was like, we could get .net. I'm like, that's, that sounds a bit rubbish. And they were like, well, wait a second, there's some other ones. So we're just going down the list. It's like .uk, .whatever it is, blah, 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 .cool. It's like, .cool! We can talk. My God, buy it! Buy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a beautiful moment. We were very excited. So was that fairly cheap on the... Yeah, it was like, it wasn't expensive. I think it was like, something like, maybe at most £30 for two years or something. Because, I mean, I know it depends on, like you say, like .com or whatever. If I wanted oneupgaming.com, then I'd, I had to pay, I think it was about, oh God, was it about 50 quid for yeah. two years? 
But I got oneupgaming.co.uk because .com was taken. Yeah. But .co.uk, I think it was only about £7 for two years. Yeah, the .co.uk ones are definitely cheaper. Like, I've got ifightbearers.co.uk because ifightbearers.com was taken. Like, someone who's not even using it for anything, it's the most frustrating thing. But yeah, so it was it was cheaper, but I'd rather have the .com. But now maybe I'll go back and get ifightbearers.cool <laughs> to make that a thing. So... Anything you'd like people to go to, like your Twitter or the website, things like that? Yeah, um, so if you want to follow me on Twitter, please do, because every time I get a new follower, I rescue a kitten. Um, so it's <laughs> at Nickel Hunt is my Twitter, because it's really original. Um, ifoutbears.co.uk is my own company's address. I think we've got a Facebook page you could find somewhere. I update it once every two years, so... Keep your eyes yeah, I, d- I don't use Facebook at all. I don't know how to. I the other day, I, I'm I'm in a member of a group, a podcasting group, mm-hmm. and I had to ask someone else to say, on my phone, can I go into that group and put a message out, or can I only do it on the like the PC? Mm. And like, oh no, you just click here, click that, and then go into the group. It's like, show me that again, because I have no idea what you just did. So I, I don't use Facebook at all. I just use Facebook for putting pictures of my baby. So my um, my friends can see. On Twitter, I just put occasionally bad jokes and self-promotion. Um, yeah, I'm not very good at social media. I enjoy it, but I'm not very good at it. I mean, I will say one thing, though. And calling the company I Fight Bears and then having your first game where you're basically punching a bear in the face, the best thing about that is the so-called major gaming press picked up on that and that helped a hell of a lot oh yeah I got a lot of attention for it um, yeah I was, I was very lucky with Fist of Awesome the fact, the fact it was so outrageous like I think nowadays it probably would even do as well as it did at the time because there's a lot of cool outrageous games like Bro Force love Bro Force there's lots of games that kind of like take things to another level with the um, outrageous humour and so I think when Fist of Awesome came along, it was one of the first to do that, um, especially with like heavily pixelated graphics and stuff. So yeah, it was, it was very, very lucky. I think it was just good timing as well on my part. So I mean, about Fist of Awesome, if you were to develop that again, but to focus on like the Steam release or a console release, what changes would you make? And the first thing I would do is have um, co-op. So that's one thing I regret not putting. I really wish I, I had time to put it in, but I just can't justify the time and expense it cost me just now. But if I come to do a sequel, I would definitely have co-op. So I'd love to have that in there. I'd love to have multiple characters for the main campaign so you can play through as a variety of characters. Because that's one thing about Fist of Awesome. It was, it was a really good experience playing through from beginning to end. But then once you'd done that, that was kind of it. There wasn't that much variety left to use. So I'd like to improve that in future versions. Um, and yeah, I just like to double down on the humour, make it even more outrageous, more funny. I, l- I love it when I, I, I take it to expos and people would be like, they have to put down like the iPad or whatever they were playing on because they were laughing so hard. <laughs> I love that. I'd love to like just try and push that as far as I possibly can because yeah, as, as much as I like making games which are just fun to play, I also love making people laugh. So yeah, that'd be cool. More jokes. Because. It's a shame that that sort of genre of game has dried up quite a lot. Because back in the early 90s, Streets of Rage, 
And my favourite, which I've blanked on now, Capcom Final Fight, yes. I used to love that so much. The Mega CD version was absolutely amazing. Oh, I've not played that. I used to check that out. It's the best version of it at the time. Yeah. You know, it's basically arcade perfect. Cool. And it was so good. So, I think I've nicked just over half an hour of your time. And your baby has been glorious. He's so cute. He's his little hands. So, how old? He's, um, he's coming up for eight months now. He's very, very cute. Um, <laughs> yeah, I never thought I liked kids. Uh, maybe I still don't like kids, but I love my kid. My kid is amazing. I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's I'm one of these people that, like, I had. A, it's a really bad analogy, but I had a dog which I loved, but she was a right bitch. Like you'd go <laughs> in the garden and plant plants, and then you'd come back in, and then she'd walk out, grab the plant, and bring it to you. <laughs> well, she's just and helping. She's like, oh yeah, I saw you were using this thing, so maybe you want it now. That was fine for me, but unfortunately, when I split up with my ex-girlfriend and moved back home, like, my dad used to put, like, hundreds of pounds worth of plants in the garden. And she'd just walk around, just pick every single one up, <laughs> take it to him, and he'd go ballistic. I mean, I came home from work one night, and he'd put, like, benches and wire all the way around the outskirts of the garden so she couldn't get to the plants. But <laughs> to me, she was... A character. She was gorgeous. Yeah. Well, he's, but... he, he's, he is really good. He doesn't destroy gardens yet, <laughs> in a way. No. I mean, I think you've got that all to come. Yeah, oh, no doubt. He's, 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 he's determined he's going to walk soon. So as soon as that happens, it's game over. All, all, all of my nice things have to go away. When they get to about two, that's when you have to worry. Yes. When they get to the... The so-called terrible twos. Yeah, I don't doubt it. He really li- like he likes having like things in his hand just so he can go like this and kind of smash them off things. So as soon as he gets to the point where he can go away and choose those things, he starts smashing up. Yeah, game over. So last question. Okay. The next game you do, are you going to? Or have you already, which you probably have, like honoured it to your son? No, actually, um, I, I, I was thinking actually about Max and Kai. I'm not totally to, um, to Jamie and Liam, but what I'd like to do, um, I had a really good friend um, from Dundee called Stu Hogarth, who was an indie game developer, and he died last year. He had um, he had congenial heart issues. Um, yeah, and he really sadly passed away. Such a lovely guy, and um, I'd like to dedicate my next game to him because. He he was one of the main guys who was so supportive of me when I first started doing this whole indie game thing. Um, so yeah, I'd like to do something to kind of I don't know, right. give something back as much as I possibly can. But yeah, but um, but check out Smiling Bag Games because there's still a few of them on the App Store and they're all awesome. That's nice to know. So thank you for giving up your time in your nice home that you bought. From getting Fist of Awesome out. Yeah. See, kids, it can work. Making games, you can make money, you can actually have a normal life. And I tell you what, 
I bet it was quite expensive, a nice home just on the outskirts of London. It wasn't It wasn't cheap. It was a combination of like my Fist of Awesome money and my wife was in um, a West End show because she's an actor. So the two of us together like made this super team that was capable of getting a mortgage <laughs> for a house. Because, I don't know, I mean, where I'm from first in North Yorkshire, mm. an expensive house is about 200000 And this is how bad it is. When I was about... Uh, say about 20 my brother would be about 21 22 he bought his house for i think it was 39000 wow and then literally about 3 years later he sold it for 140000 jeez and now that house is like 200000 yeah house prices but, are mental it's weird being a grow up and actually knowing about this stuff but um yeah like we were very lucky like i don't think we could even afford to buy this place now and we only bought it a year ago, because everything's just insane and gets so expensive. Especially in near London, everything's just going up all the time. Yeah, it's London's. I don't think they realise there's other places. It's just crazy prices over there. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't like. I, I miss living in London because it's fun and stuff. But I don't miss living in London because it was insanely expensive. I mean, I'm now thirty. Well, almost thirty-five. And I've been to London twice. Once when I was carried by my mother when she was coming home somewhere. I was a couple of months old. I was going to ask, like, were you in your teens at this point? No. (laughs) (laughs) And the last time was when I went down the end of September to do this 60-hour game webcast. Cool. And I left Glasgow Airport at 7 o'clock in the morning... Got into Stansted Airport at about half eight in the morning. Took the train to Victoria yeah. Street, Victoria Cross, something. That sounds about right. And then I got the underground to somewhere else, to the Sega old headquarters. Okay. I think Mastertronic were there before it got knocked down a few months ago. Oh, is it like Farrington or something? Yes, yes, that's it. So I got off there at about nine, ten o'clock, set everything up. The other members of the team came at about three, four in the afternoon. We went out, had a sandwich, came back, started the thing. Then it was about eight o'clock in the morning when I packed everything up on the Monday morning. So I never went out during the, the whole time I was there. Jeez. Packed everything up. Because they all went went off the night before because they had to have gone to college on the Monday. I packed everything up, got back on the train, went up to the airport for 12 o'clock and got went back into Glasgow for 3 o'clock and then came straight home and slept for like two nights. Dude, you must be knackered. <laughs> it's insane. It's one of those things where, looking back at it now, I would do things totally different. I would do everyone's together for the first four hours, and then we do it in like four hour shifts, mm-hmm. so everyone gets rest. Yeah. But when I sort of did it at the actual thing, I think we've got recorded about fifty eight hours, and I slept about four hours of that. That's ridiculous. And, I mean, I was absolutely perfectly fine between hour one 
and our, say, 45. Mm. It was only after that I had a complete mental breakdown. <laughs> you know, it's, I think it's when everyone else disappeared and I was sat there on my own. Mm-hmm. I had no one to talk to, no one... And at that time, it was about two in the morning. So... I just completely lost it. <laughs> so I will say thank you, Nicole. That was great. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure as always, David. And hopefully in a few months I will get to try this new game of yours that's supposedly the greatest ever arcade-style mobile racing game. I, I swear to God you're going to be blown away. It is already way beyond what I thought it could be. It's so much better than we we meant it to be, which I think is good. Yeah, it, it's a good thing. It can only get better. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been it's been a lovely conversation. It's not a problem. Thank you. Cool. Have a have a great weekend. Same to you. Adios. Hey guys, Justin here. I wanted to take a minute to talk to you about this thing we're really getting into here at One of Gaming. It's called the Eagle Box, and it's a tiny Android console that with a high-quality wireless controller, connects to your TV via HDMI. And then it gives you instant access to all kinds of retro games. It comes pre-installed with uh, Android TV and the movie apps and all the fun stuff like Kodi that you would expect from an Android box. But in addition to that, I mean, this is like me going off and saying, but wait, there's more! It can play PS1, MAME, Dreamcast, N64, Neo Geo, Atari, NES, SNES, Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance, Sega Master System, Sega Mega Drive, or, you know, Sega Genesis back in the real world, what do you want to call it, Commodore 64, Amiga, ZX Spectrum, you know, I mean, I could go on for days with the amount of games that this thing can play. And if, by chance you happen to run out of memory, it, it, it has an expandable memory slot too, so you can keep adding on to your game library if that's your thing. Unlike a lot of these uh, other Android-based consoles out there, it supports up to 1080p, includes a TV remote, and I, got, I can't I mean, I can't speak highly enough about this thing. It, it does everything you'd want it to, and it's a media device too. So, if you're into quality retro gaming, and, I, and you know, I know, we, you know, Nintendo has this, uh, you know, NES Classic console coming out in November, and it's going to be 60 bucks US or whatever. But you can start now. I mean, you could play these games on your TV right now, rather than having to wait, and probably not even be able to get a unit, you know, one of those NES Classic consoles due to, you know, sheer nostalgic demand. I mean, the pre-orders are going to be crazy. Why go through that when you can get an Eagle Box from One Up Gaming right now and start playing those classic games right now? And then, when you're done playing, playing games, I mean, you could watch movies and do a host of other things, media-related, all in one device. It comes with a, with a wireless controller, it comes with a TV remote, and you can, you know, record live TV if you want. I mean, this is one of these things it does. It's, you know, it, it, it's a full media device, it can record virtually anything you, think, anything you want to do on Android, you can do on here, because it is a full Android device. And for those of you familiar with Kodi, it comes with that pre-installed. So, go to 1UP Gaming, go to our website, okay? Check it out, and get yourself an Eagle Box. Don't bother going to eBay, you know, who knows what's going to be there. If, 
I mean, you never know what you're getting out of eBay. I mean, how many times have I been burned? I can't even count the times that I've been burned through eBay. But know that you're getting a quality device through one of gaming that's going to do all your retro games and some fairly modern ones too, and all your media stuff too, right in your living room, right now. No need to wait. So go to the one of gaming website, check it out, and I think you'll like it. Anyway, back to the show. Welcome to the next generation of gaming with the One Up Gaming Crew. With news from the weekend gaming and just some random chatter. Okay. With your hosts, David and Nathan, plus some special guests. It's time. For more info, please visit www.1upgaming.co.uk Xbox One Challenge Challenge. I'm King You Already Know Ruling Games on PC, PSP, PlayStation 4 Play all genres highest seen If there is a leaderboard You can find a mod that would allow you all to see my scores David and Nathan reviewing the games for me That's why I'm so dangerous See their tips so good you won't believe Keep playing strong One up gaming coming on It's the show you all have waited for the Waste not very long, not go To one up game and 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 go Listen up, yo And we're back with the One Up Gaming podcast, and this week we've got a nice little chat with, as always, I'll just sort of say, do you want to introduce yourself and just say what you're kind of doing at the minute? Yeah, sure. My name is Don Wilkins, and I'm the uh, developer on Stellar Tactics, uh, which is currently on Greenlight, and uh, we're working to get our our game on Steam, and it's a sci-fi RPG. So, I mean... To me, Steam Greenlight, it's still fairly new. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been out for a couple of years now. It seems like it's uh, more of an experiment on, on the part of Steam, and, and they get a lot of games that way. Um, it's, I mean, yeah. I, mean I, I just wondered, what was it like before they actually did the Steam Greenlight? Do you, do you have any ideas oh, about that? Yeah. Or is this... yeah, I mean, I you know, I've worked in the game industry for a very, very long time. I used to work for companies like Sierra and, and um, all the way back to Surtex Software um, on games like Wizardry and, and things of that nature. Um, really, before Steam came along, you had to pitch your games to publishers. And um, for the most part, um, pitching a game to a pub- publisher meant that you were looking for advances on royalties on the game. Uh, they would fund you, they'd give you an advance on royalties, and then you know they would do all the marketing and distribution of the game uh, into the retail channel. Um, it was just a, a very different scene. When I started out, 
doing this stuff, it was really kind of a cottage industry with a couple of small publishers. One of them was Surtech Software. They, they, um, you know, they they distributed a lot of role playing games and things of that nature. Then there were you know companies like Activision and, and Bethesda, um, but it was a relatively small group back then. But that all changed quickly because uh, and and let me know if I'm rambling here. You know, just feel free to cut me off. But it's fine, don't worry. Yeah, but um, things changed a lot, and uh, the corporate world decided that there was money to be made, and, and EA showed that, and then a lot of people kind of got in, like Vivendi Universal, um, you know, all the big players, and um, that whole publishing thing continued to be the same for developers. Like, developers would go out, and they'd pitch their games, and hopefully sign in on with a publisher and sign not necessarily the creative rights away, but the distribution rights of the game. Um, and then Steam came along, uh, which is a, a fantastic thing for indie developers, and it gave them an opportunity to do a couple things. One, um, retain control of the product by not necessarily signing um, a lot of the creative rights away and when I say that, it just means that a publisher could basically say, I don't like the way this is, and you guys need to change it if you want the game published. Um, with Steam, you basically have a lot more control over the creative content. So so what it is, it's kind of like a creative renaissance where small developers can go out, put together a game that they think is really cool and different uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's mass marketable. In other words, you know, a big publisher wants a game that everybody's going to buy. They don't want a game that only a few people are going to buy because it's cool. And um, so the way it works with Steam is uh, you, you get your game into a playable state. You sign up on Steam and you pay $100 and they donate that money. And then you can list your game and let people vote on whether or not, you know, they want to see it be on Steam. And they do that by, you know, clicking the yes vote or a no vote as to whether or not they'd buy it if it was on Steam. And um, depending it's depending on your popularity, you, you actually end up being published on their platform, which is a big deal because at any one time they can have 3 million users playing games on the Steam platform. So it's a really big deal. So... That's where I'm at right now, and uh, it's it's just brilliant. I, I absolutely love the whole idea of being able to publish something that's a little bit different and not have to approach a publisher to get you know signed up to do that. Cause I mean, <clears throat> I know some developers from like the early '90s, like the Mega Drive or Genesis sort of era. Mm-hmm. And they were saying that, yes, indie development's great, but the problem is, back in the early 90s, because the publishers had to have faith in the product because they had to, say, print up 10,000 cartridges, which wasn't free. That's right. They, they had to know the product was of a decent standard before they'd even say, yes, we'll carry on with that. Whereas now it's just a bit of a free-for-all. It is. And I, th I think what's going to end up happening is there is going to be a falling out um, eventually. Um, you're absolutely right. You know, uh, when, you had to, when you had to distribute cartridges, the game needed to be 
100% stable, absolutely 100% stable with no errors whatsoever. Otherwise, you know, you'd be in really bad shape as a publisher with a bunch of cartridges that had a game with, with a really nasty bug on it. Same thing goes with Sony. Sony has a really stringent set of uh, technical requirements. And when you distribute a game on their platform, they do a lot of heavy testing to make sure that that disc is going out and it's stable and of you know reasonable quality. You can see the same thing on the iPhone. Um, you know, uh, Apple does exactly the same thing. They test your game. They make sure it fully fu- it's fully functional and that they're not distributing something that breaks. Steam's a little bit more of an open platform for a lot of people to distribute even just really bizarre ideas in some cases. I mean, some of the stuff that I've seen up there being sold, I just, or, you know, trying to be greenlit, I just can't even imagine doing well. But, you know, with the open system, they, they don't really... Um, I think I, I think what they're doing, like I said, is is more of an experiment. They're they're monitoring it, but they're not. Uh, they're letting people decide what's good and what's not good, and I don't know how much longer that's gonna that's gonna go on. Um, I mean, I'm grateful to them for doing that, but I do agree that you know it it can get a little bit flooded with games that may not be all that well put together. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Especially because I think it was the beginning of last year, Steam, they must have changed some sort of, of their regulations or something. Because all of a sudden, within a couple of months, there was like 200 like iPhone ports put straight onto it. So I mean, they might have changed something to say that they're allowing, like, mobile phone sort of parts to be put onto the sort of system now. It just all of a sudden there was like hundreds of them straight away. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, a lot of people are also porting um, their PS1 games and PS2, like uh, Disgaea just released for PC. Um, that's a really old game. That game's like 15 years old. I think, somewhere 10, 15 years old. It's a great strategy game, and a lot of people are playing it and buying it right now. But um, what I'm finding in the green light area, when I read through some of the comments for some of the um, you know, uh, mobile game ports, a lot of people are, are commenting on those kinds of games. And you know, uh, I've even seen people go as far as saying, you, you should really take this game off Steam Greenlight. <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't know what the deal was with that, but um, yeah, I agree. I see a lot of ports coming over from um, phones, yeah, from mobile. So, is this the first time you've put a game yourself into Steam Greenlight? It is. Yeah, this is the first. This is the first game that I've developed exclusively for myself. I've produced a lot of games: Wizardry, Arcanum, um, you know, uh, The Hobbit. Bunch of other stuff, you know. You guys can. Is that the Hobbit game that was on PS2? Yes. Yeah. That was actually a lot better than it had any right to be. <laughs> well, I did. So the deal is, the game industry is kind of like a. I used to compare it to um, traveling, traveling around the country on a bus. You, you get on the bus and then you get off at a station, being a game development company. You hang out for a couple of years and finish a few things, and then you get back on the bus and go somewhere else. 
Um, so in, in the case of The Hobbit, I started it but did not finish it. Um, so I can't really take responsibility for its end state, but we did, you know, I did quite a bit of work with uh, the folks who developed it, and, um, you know, some people really enjoyed it. So... I think it... I don't know about in America, but in the UK, I think it got really good reviews. Oh, good. But it didn't really sell very well. You know, it it was uh, kind of um, actually platformy, and I think a lot of people... So, so as gamers, you know, uh, as as a large group um, of gamers, people want to buy games that are game game IP, game intellectual property, things that have done really well in the past. You know, you think of Halo as a franchise, you think of um, GTA as a franchise, you think of all these big franchises that have that have churned out, um, you know, top games over a over a really long period of time. Those do really well because people have, you know, an expectation. Metal Gear Solid's another one that that the game is just going to be really good when it comes out. It's going to play well. It's going to be fun, and it's going to be worth the dollars they're going to spend. But then there's this other side, which is pulling intellectual property from books and movies. And in my opinion, in a lot of cases, I think people they tend to look at that and think that um, because it was derived from, you know, intellectual property not related to video games, that the quality level will be substandard. And um, there's a period of time in the publishing industry where we were just licensing everything we could get our hands on. Um, You know, anything that sounded like it could be converted to a game, it was, you know, it was definitely a target to go out and try to get the game, you know, development rights or movie development rights um, and unfortunately, uh, in all those cases, whenever we did our return on investment, we always put a, a much smaller development budget into things like that just because uh, we knew that the numbers that would come out of it would be a lot lower than they would for you know a game like Half-Life or Half-Life 2. two. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I really didn't follow The Hobbit uh after I, I moved on from Sierra to go work for a smaller development studio, um, I didn't follow it all the way through to find out, you know, how well it did. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest problem that game had was it came out in the middle of all the the hype of the, the Lord of the Rings movies. Yes, that'll happen. <laughs> and everyone knew about the Lord of the Rings games that EA were making. And then when this one came out, it basically said it was based on the books from the same guy who did The Lord of the Rings. But I guess a lot of people were like, we don't really care about that. It doesn't have the big shiny Lord of the Rings on it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and that's that's one franchise. I mean, I, I worked with Lord of the Rings for a little while while I was at Sierra and, and Saul Zantz, who owns the rights to The Lord of the Rings um, you know, distributing uh, various rights, you know, digital rights, movie rights, book rights, things of that nature. And that's all they do. They, Salzance, they they manage intellectual property rights and try to get the biggest amount of money they can for licensing those. But the big, the big license at the time was Lord of the Rings. And Sierra had that. That moved to Vivendi Universal when Vivendi bought Sierra and, and dismantled it. Um... 
And, uh, you know, EA was the big competitor. The idea was we're going to make games based off The Hobbit. And really my only involvement at the time on that was that, um, I think I can say this. How long has it been? It's been over 10 years. At the at the time, Vivendi came to Sierra one day, and a lot of people got let go. And one of the guys, and I, I don't want to use names here, um, actually two of the guys were on vacation that were managing the Lord of the Rings at the time. And they took a small group of whoever was left over into a room and asked us, who wants to manage Lord of the Rings? And I kind of put my hand up and said, well, I'll keep an eye on it until so-and-so gets back. And I ended up spending about four or five months working on that before we transitioned it over to Vivendi Universal. And then, you know, the history goes from there that Lord of the Rings Online, um, well, it was a real big success for quite a long time. Still is. I mean, people still play that game. But yeah, yeah I think it went, did you go free to play? Then it was really successful. Yeah, you know, I mean, a lot of the games went that way. That That whole... That whole free-to-play thing for a while was just amazing. People moving all their there was just there were too many MMOs out there to choose from, and it eventually got to be where if your MMO was you 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 remember this if your MMO wasn't free-to-play you weren't doing well. Um, I think there's only a couple of games like uh, obviously World of Warcraft. They, they never went free to play, though I think they let you play free now to level twenty or something like that. Yeah, you can download it and play up to level twenty. Yeah, yeah, that's smart. I mean, you know, and you get to level twenty in what five or six hours, easy, maybe less. Um, the other one is, of course, uh, Final Fantasy. But I think I think those are the only survivors for the um, uh, yeah the only two that really didn't go free to play. There may be more. Yeah. I mean, they're the only ones that I can think because I think everything else, like the not Morrowind, but Elder Scrolls, they went the play, yeah. the uh, they went free to play quite quick as well. Yeah, they um, you know they have an amazing game there, but but it's just so hard to compete when you have you know hundreds of of MMOs and you know a subset of those being actually really really fantastic games that are just completely free. I mean, what do you do? It's and, and making a game like that is just insanely difficult. Um, you know, these, these AAA MMOs, is, you've got to have a really large group of people. It costs an inc- your burn rate just for developing a game like that is, is really high. And, you know, you get to a point where you've got to have people paying you. <laughs> you gotta, there's, there's no way to keep the lights on if there isn't a way to monetize um, the development of the game. Um, you know, all these artists, artists are, good artists are hard to come by, and the good ones are expensive. Engineers that, that do gaming, they're very expensive, and they're very difficult to come by. And they, they all have, you know, families, and it's funny because, um, and I am rambling here a little bit, I, I hear people who want the games given away for free. And I've never understood how that how that can work unless you're a hobbyist developer. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. It's yeah, it's getting rather difficult. I think with the explosion of like the iPhone and mobile sort of stuff. Because I know when I got my 3ds, I was like, 
why should I pay 30 or £40 pound for one of these games when it's nearly the same sort of... I mean, look at the Pokemon Shuffle. They released that as a free-to-play game on the iPhone. But that, when it first came out, was like 20 quid on the 3DS. Sure. You know, so it's... Well, they're all... It's just weird. Yeah, it is. But, I mean, I think what they're doing is they're trying out... They're, they're constant, the, this whole industry is really evolving on the fly. I mean, in a lot of ways, from a, from a from the standpoint of monetizing the work that you do so that you can, you know, own a house and, um, you know, pay for your kids' braces if they need braces, things like that, you know, and just keeping food on the table. So a lot of people have gone to this whole... Um, you know, you get the game for free. If you want some goodies, you got to buy them in the store. And then I hear people complaining about that too, but I guess people will always complain. Um, you know, for me, for Stellar Tactics, I'm not, I'm not looking to um, knock one out of the park with the game. It's a little bit different. I, I'm just trying to make the best game I possibly can and hope, hopefully people will like it enough to, you know, uh, pay a few bucks for it and, and um, not that I'm telling you what the price is going to be right now, <laughs> <laughs> but you know I, I'm hoping people are going to enjoy the game. It's it's going to be a deep game. It's going to be um, something that's a little different from anything that's out there. I mean, most of the role playing games are fantasy. You know, there's very few uh, sci fi RPGs out, and I'm just a really big fan of sci fi. So we'll see how it takes on. I mean, I might be a little bit out, but to me, from looking at all the little videos for Stellar Tactics, I would assume to be about between the like $25, $30 sort of price range. Well, I can't say now because I think what's going to happen is, you know, once we get greenlit, assuming I get greenlit, I think what happens at that point is um, Steam comes along and, and gives you a hand on pricing. Pricing the game. I th- so I think I was talking with someone before, and they basically say we believe it'll sell best at this price, but you have final say. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to them because they know what they're doing. Um, I mean, sure, if I could, if I could make a living and sell it for a few bucks, I'd do that. But I I don't know that I can. I, I think that cheapens a game sometimes to sell it for a few bucks. Um, especially, you know, I've, I've worked on this thing for six years now. It's been an incredible amount of work in my spare time, and now I'm working on it full-time. I just, um, you know, I, I countless and ca- countless hours of, of effort into the, um, into the strategy ground-based portion of the game, and then, you know, space exploration itself in, in the game. I mean, literally, there are millions of planets and hundreds of, th- you know, probably, I'd say... On average, depending on the random seed for generating the universe, there's around 200,000 solar systems that you can explore. Um, And, you know, the other thing about this, too, is that even though it's procedural, it's not procedural uh, in the sense of uh, No Man's Sky. I don't know if you've heard of that game. Yeah, I think everyone's heard about that one at this sort of point. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a big one. And in fact, I think it just uh, I think that they just started taking pre-orders in the last few days on Steam. Um, that game is from the ground up 
Um, it's it's an amazing looking game, and it, it must have been just an incredible effort by a relatively good sized group of people. It is procedural from the ground up. I think pretty much every pixel is procedurally generated. Um, Stellar Tactics is not like that. What what I do is I build a giant sandbox and then I populate that with content. And some of that content is random content, mission content, things of that nature, dynamically generated uh, missions for you to go on, like, you know, um, go ahead and clear out this, this space station or this lab, you know, and in the process you loot, you uh, do all the standard you know, role-playing game sort of things uh, strategically, though, you know, kind of like a squad-based tactical combat and exploration. Um, then then there are what I would call handcrafted um, missions and encounters um, that are placed in the procedural environment uh, in, in a less random fashion. And those handcrafted experiences are, those are designed to, um, you know, tell the story narrative and draw the player through the game along a certain path. Um, but at any time, you can break off that path and, and go do all kinds of different things. I mean, you can take any mission, random mission you want. Some of the events um, are triggered by your activities with the factions in, in the game environment. Some events are triggered by factions and how they deal with each other. Like, for example, if uh, one faction decides to blow up a, um, you know, a shuttle or, a, or another ship from another faction, it could, you know, sort of spark off a skirmish that you're going to have to, you have a choice to get involved with. Um, so it's a little bit different. It's much more of an RPG than it is... Uh, a um, just just kind of wide open sandbox. It's actually both, really. It's a it's an RPG sandbox. I guess I guess if I I could describe it best, I would say it's kind of um, it's kind of a sci-fi Fallout, you know, Fallout One or Fallout Two, uh, where with a party you have a party of characters um, set in a set in a sandbox in outer space. There you go. In a nutshell. <laughs> I mean, when I've looked at the pictures and read into the game, mm -hmm. it reminds me of a game from, oh God, it must be the mid to late 90s. It's that long ago, I can't remember if it was an original Star Trek or on the Star Trek Next Generation IP. But basically, it was, it was before full 3D. And you had... You were sat on the bridge of the Enterprise and you could go to planets and explore and have space combat and you could also go to the planets, beam down and it was like a over isometric sort of view of like little characters walking around the planet. Yeah, I think I remember the game you're talking there were a couple like that. There was one called Sentinel Worlds that was not, you know, based on any IP. And then there was an old Star Trek game. I could never get it to work though on the system that I had at the time. Um, but I remember really wanting to play it because, you know, I, I, I could look at the box and see that the screenshots had, wow, space exploration and, you know, sort of, uh, squad based, uh, ground exploration. How cool is that? You know, 
Um, so I've always wanted to build a game like this. And, and in fact, many, many years ago, I, I pitched the, the idea around to a couple of publishers, but it wasn't, for them, it wasn't mainstream enough. It didn't, it didn't have that focused sort of, I'm a shooter or I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a turn-based strategy or a real-time strategy. They, they basically had a bunch of categories back then that if you weren't really in that category or sort of outside the sweet spot for making good, decent money. So, yeah, I mean, when, when I decided to start making this like six years ago, it was really more of a challenge than anything. I just thought, okay, well, let's go ahead and make the game ourselves now that there's some tools out there that we can do things like this with. And, you know, I just started tinkering away, and um, within a couple of years I had something substantial, and I just kept going, and, and here we are, you know, at this point, um, with a lot of work to do still, but pretty close to having this thing in a state where people can start playing it which is very exciting and scary. So you say you've been on it now for six years? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of that work was part-time, you know, nights and weekends, things of that nature. So I think if I condensed everything down to the amount of time, if I was doing it as a full-time job, I'd say maybe two years, two and a half years worth of work. And... Is it like you solely, or do you have like a couple of other people helping you every now and again? I have uh, some contract artists that pitch in occasionally. Yeah, but mostly all of this has been done by myself. So all the code, all the um, <clears throat> all the level design, you know, um, all the things that run in the background, uh, the AI, the combat system. Um, dialogue system, all that stuff. That's that's all written by me. So, do you have a like a standard game engine, or did you build one from scratch? This is a combination of uh, a couple of tools that I got my hands on. So, yeah, I don't want to extrapolate more on that. <laughs> it's not Unity. Right. It's not Unity. It's not you know. Um, Unreal. It's not Unreal. Yeah, they're the only two I really know. <laughs> yeah. So, when you say that you've got a couple of like artists every now and again, um, I don't know how much they charge, but I know for a fact we were looking at creating a cartoon series, and we were doing going to do six ten-minute episodes, and I got quoted sixty thousand dollars <laughs> to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's quite expensive. It's, you know, I mean, definitely getting good art is, is difficult to do. Um, there are other resources that, that you can pull from, too, out, out in the marketplace, you know, folks that, that put together 3D models and things of that nature. But, yes, it does add up of quite a bit over time. So um, illustration is very expensive right now, good illustration. Um, 3D modeling uh, it can, in some cases, depending on where you get your models from, be a lot less expensive. So yeah, it adds up, and you know I've I've put quite a bit of my own money into this game um, over a period of time. So, so the game itself, mm -hmm. if people don't know, it's 
I mean, you can correct me if I'm totally wrong, but it's like an open world flight combat trade sort of game where you can also land on planets and space stations and then it turns to like an isometric sort of 3D view. Exactly. And, you know, the exploration feels a lot like walking around in uh, Pillars of Eternity. Uh, you have um, various characters that you pick up along the way. So it's, it's a standard traditional uh, role-playing game uh, in a lot of ways like Baldur's Gate. Um, so it is party-based. Uh, and there are a number of characters that are part of the storyline that you can engage in your group, up to a total of four characters. And uh, each of those grow. Uh, and I like to say it's a classless um, progression system in the sense that your characters advance through the use of various skills. So if you pick up a rifle uh, and you use the rifle a lot, you're going to get better at using it. And at certain tiers, uh, you, you unlock perks that you can choose um, as you progress. And each one of those characters progresses uh, on their own track individually. And you can see in some of the screenshots, I kind of exposed um, all, all of the, uh, well, almost all. There's, there's actually one other um, skill set that you get later in the game that unlocks, which is uh, psionics. And that unlocks after um, a story-based event occurs where you actually start having the ability to kind of cast spells in a way. Um, there are some other engine uh, combat things like um, what I call Unity right now. I'm not sure if that's going to be the final name. But it's basically turn-based combat with uh, team power-ups where eventually you charge up enough damage, you, you acquire enough damage through combat where you get to choose uh, a special team-based attack that is pretty devastating for some of the more com you know, complex uh, combat scenarios. Um, the other thing about combat is that while it's turn-based, it, it, it also includes a queuing system, and I'll be showing that in a gameplay video uh, sometime in the next month or so. I want to do sort of a, a 10 minutes uh, with Stellar Tactics combat video. Um, the combat system lets you queue up attacks, so you can basically um, queue up a number of attacks and then unleash those so that it's not tedious. Combat kind of moves along at a pretty good clip. Um, yeah, there we go. That's kind of a little blurb on how all that works. So when you started the project six years ago, you said it was basically like a labor of love, a game that you've always wanted to design. Are you happy of the last couple of years of the rise of the space sim sort of genre? You know, I am. I'm actually really thrilled. There, there have been a couple of rough starts, you know, like X Rebirth. You know, they had a really, really hard launch. It was unfortunate. The game is, is just beautiful to play now. It's really smooth. It plays well. It's a fantastic game. And I've always been a big fan of the X series. Um, you know, uh, a couple of the other games that have come out have, have been a lot of fun. I'm trying to think of the one that came out recently that was really cool. It was developed by uh, two people. Um, the 
One of my games of last year was Rebel Galaxy. Rebel Galaxy. Great game. I mean, you know, that just really did a lot for the genre. It made it feel really action-y. I love the space combat. I like the exploration. And, you know, it's a... It's a I, I think that game in particular is a really good example of what a small team can do um, putting things together. So, yeah. Yeah, it's exciting. I'm, I'm glad... To... Yeah, because I, I think they... As you said, that was two people, and then they just had like music people in and other bits and bobs just to mm-hmm. yeah to add it all up. Yeah, the music the music was great. I mean, it just ties in so well with the game, and it gives this the gives that gives the game and the whole experience this really uh, sort of unique flavor that that is just well done. I mean, you know, I'm so I'm so glad for those guys that you know um, they were able to do do what they were doing and, and have it be as successful as it was. So yeah, kudos to them. And I mean, I don't know if you've heard of the game or not, but I got it sent to review last year and I'd never heard of the series, but I was very surprised and delighted how good it was. Starpoint Gemini 2. Oh, yes. I've, I've actually, I have a copy of that. Um, they... They started develop. They worked on that for quite a while, and um, I, bro- I I picked up a copy in early access and started playing it. And um, I think just recently, sometime in the last six months, they they've wrapped that up, and you know they're still patching it, but um, adding content. But yeah, that's that's a great game. Real smooth. So mm-hmm. your game is it basically like a mix of both sort of games plus. Like um, more like the action bits from like one of the moderners sort of XCOM sort of games. Yeah, actually, that's a so let's draw a par- parallel there. I think uh, Rebel. It's kind of a cross of Rebel Galaxy, um, with a massive procedural universe. Um, XCOM, and then throw in sort of that whole Fallout feel, you know, the original Fallout 1 and Fallout 2 feel, um, and you've got kind of an idea of what I'm trying to do with Stellar Tactics. Um, the combat, the space combat, is something that I'm working on right now. Um, you know, I'm trying to tune and, and tweak. Um, I'm not sure at this point if it's going to feel as actiony as Rebel Galaxy because I wanted a little bit more strategy involved in, um, you know, uh, targeting various elements on, on the uh, ships that you're fighting. But we'll see as that progresses. Certainly, the whole space combat thing is really, really important, and, and I don't want to release it or even show it until I'm really happy with it. So I'm kind of working feverishly on that right now to try to get it to a point where I'm actually happy with the way it feels. Ground combat is... You know, I'd say 85% of the way there, there are a couple of systems I'm still plugging in and, and tweaking, but it feels really good. The whole exploration, the dialogue system, all of those things, um, the loot system, all of that stuff is in and, and working really nicely right now. And I'm, I, I was just playing it yesterday. It was the day before yesterday. I just got wiped out by this uh, team of mutants, and they just they wrecked me. And I, I really should have saved a stun grenade, but sh- I shouldn't have saved it. That is, I had like one stun grenade left, and I think I would have survived if I would have thrown it. But anyway, 
kind of wrap. Because I mean, the the one thing I will say about the space combat with Rebel Galaxy, because it was quite fast and nimble, it kept it interesting. Whereas if you go the other way, I think it was a Star Trek game that Bethesda published on the 360 and PS3, which was like a yeah. a full... And they said that they wanted to have an accurate feel of a thousand foot ship, you know, like slowly turning in space, which technically, yes, that's how it would be. But when you have two massive ships just slowly turning towards each other... It's boring. No, I agree. Yeah, it just wasn't fun. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, it's something I'm really concerned about. I think, I think that Rebel Galaxy really got that feel right. It really feels fun and actiony to fight. You know, I think about um, uh, it's escaping me right now. What's the major sci-fi uh, space space MMO? Eve, Eve Online. Yes. And the combat in there is not quite as actiony, but um, you know, as you're traveling around, you have there, there's some strategy involved in what you're doing. I'd say somewhere in between what they're doing with that and what they did in um, Rebel Galaxy, with a little bit of strategy as far as you know, trying to take out certain elements of the ship first before you do other things. Um, is kind of where I want to be at. I, I really don't want to drop the ball and make it feel sluggish and um, tedious to fight in space. I've always had kind of, yeah, ground ground combat can be like XCOM, but space combat needs a, needs a, a little bit more of an action feel to it. So that's, that's kind of what I'm tweaking right now. Um, you know, one of the things you have to keep in mind is the strategy port of part of uh, the space battles is that you want to be able to disable ships but not make it feel like the exact same thing every time you do it. It shouldn't be really, really easy to disable a ship and board it. it should you, you, you need to be able to take out the shield generator. You need to wipe out the, you know, the engines and make sure that they're not traveling. There should be a sequence for breaching the ship. Things of that nature. That reminds me, have you played FTL? I have, yeah. <laughs> I loved the system in that. Yeah, it's, it is cool. It is a cool, cool game. And you know, a lot they, just in the development of that game, I mean, the the the, the team that put it together, um, you know, was really well well rewarded for their efforts. I mean, I think it was really really great to see that come out when it did, and. Um, you look at, you know, I, I look at Steam Spy occasionally to see how games are doing, and I don't know how accurate it is. Some people argue that it's not. Developers argue that, yeah, it's pretty close. But, you know, games like that do really, really well. So, um... And, I mean, I love the, the tactic that you could do once you got your internal sensors and stuff all put, you know, leveled up where you could have all your characters in the main, like, ship, like the control room, whatever you want to call it, and if anyone boarded you, you could actually just press one button and all the doors would open, including the airlocks, and, and it would just blast everyone that's, out. Yeah, that was brilliant. Yep. <laughs> Get rid of your enemies by uh, purging your, um, I forget what you call it, your atmosphere. Yeah. yeah, smart. 
Yeah, I'm not sure how far so, I'm going to go with that, but we'll we'll see. I mean, I, I don't want to copy anybody's ideas outright, but uh, you know, it's um, I think I think putting some cool things in there like that would be nice. Yeah, it's it's always good to have a sort of uh, you know just say not nick wholesale, but just sprinkle really good ideas into what you've already got. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, and. Um, it's amazing, uh, still, you know, just the, like I said, this this whole renaissance where so many people are coming coming out with games, and then out of this this massive um, overload of, of video games, a few of them are just having these really fantastic ideas that you're just not going to see that kind of um, uh, creative, um, fertile imagination if if people are continue to just work with publishers directly uh not saying that publishers are evil it's just that you know they tend to head in a direction that they know they can get their money back for right if you're a business you're going to go ahead and make games that you know sell and there isn't all that much innovation there yeah and unfortunately a lot of the smaller sort of publishers they've all basically gone out of business now you know so like all the like THQs and all them sort of things they've all they've all gone so we're basically left with the big massive triple A studios who like let's just say a year one year's going to be like a battlefield and the next year's going to be a Star Wars battlefront whereas so basically, all these interesting ideas, unfortunately, it is falling down to the indie developers to do it. And then I guess in two or three years' time, if these uh, sell well, then we might see a AAA studio attempt something. Yeah, and you know, they're they're you know the the folks that are making these AAA games, they're. Um, and when I say that, I mean AAA, you know, publisher uh, games. The folks that are working on those games are playing these indie games. I mean, there's no doubt about it. They're they're picking them up. They're playing them. You know, the designers play all kinds of things, and they're picking up ideas from these. And eventually, you're right. Yeah, they'll make their way into some of these these larger scale games if the ideas are mainstream in a lot of cases. And you know, I don't I don't want to make the argument that there is no innovation in any of these AAA games cuz there there is. It's just that you're going to see a much more fertile uh area of growth in the indie area because people are trying things that typically wouldn't um wouldn't interest a publisher. That's all. So going back to Stellar Tactics. Mm-hmm. Do you have a, a rough idea of a release date, or is it still a ways off yet? I, I don't. Um, what I'm working towards is, is getting it out this year. That's that's about all I can say. Um, I don't want to make any other promises. The worst thing I could do right now is release it before it's fun. Um, a lot of what I have is already fun, but there are some things that I'm working on that just really need to be tweaked at this time. So, yeah, it's just not ready. Um, and I can't quite give a date. I'd hate to give a date that I'd miss. I mean, I've no idea about the name of the game. The most funded game 
of all time, the space one. I can't remember what it's called. Um, um, yeah, I'm trying to remember the name too. It's totally <laughs> funny. Um, I know what you're talking about. It's got like 25 million in, in Kickstarter or you know funding like that. Um, how can, why can't I remember the name of it? I think all in all, I think on the website, I think they've had donations of up to about 75 million dollars. Oh, really? Wow. That's, I think that was the amazing. last time they said summit. Yeah, the last. But I'm, I'm trying to look it up now as we talk. Uh, I can't. I can't remember the name. <laughs> but it's like they are basically making like individual modules like space combat ground combat walking within the ship planetary sort of like going down to the surface and back up they're making all these as separate like games and then they're gonna combine them all into one exactly yeah and that was recent news too so it's Star Citizen I, yes. I I'm I cannot believe I could not dredge that name up really quickly. So they're at a hundred and nine million dollars in funds raised. They have one million two hundred ninety three thousand plus uh, star citizens. I guess those are people who have funded them. Um, but yeah, they they decided to break things into modules. Um, I don't know. You know, I'm I. It's something I'll be picking up and I'll be playing it. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Certainly, as one developer with a couple of people helping, I could I could never make a game like this, like what they're making. It's just so far out of the realm of the capability of one or two people, you know, to put together. Um, I certainly wish them the best. It's it looks amazing. I mean, it truly looks amazing. It's a, it's a game that I'll be playing for sure. So, but I, I will say that it's not. It doesn't seem to be an RPG, um, from anything I've seen, and uh, I don't. Yeah, I think it's more of a like an Eve Online, but a bit more more actiony. Yeah, you know than. Yeah, but the, the I think the thing that it does have in combat is in, in co- common with what I'm trying to do, and of course I I want to be really clear that <laughs> there's no way I can do anything like what they're doing. I, I just don't have the kind of funding. But um, they are they are merging uh, space and, and ground exploration. And, and I think, you know, that's the next step for these games. These games are really, they need that. Um, no Man's Sky's got the same thing. You've got the space exploration. You've got the ground exploration. Um, it's really the place, and even like X Rebirth, you know, speaking about them, they, they had... You know, they took kind of a first step in that area where you could actually walk around on stations and you do a couple things on them. There's some explore, exploration there. But yeah, I've always, I, we're at that point now where we're, where um, people are actually heading in that direction where they, they the, this whole concept of having two separate engines, one that's for space and ground, just seemed too complicated. Um, I think now it's fully within reach. Obviously it is because my game does it now, but um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how things go over the course of the next couple of years in, in development. I'm hoping this is a, uh, this whole space thing is, is just, you know, a, a nice, nice long wave. Cause I love these kinds of games. It's my favorite kind of game. And um, I've been a gamer for a very long time. So. Yeah. I mean, as I said before, 
last year, I think it was last year, yeah, it must have been, cause it's only a couple of months into this one, um, when I played the the Star, Star Point Gemini and the Rebel Galaxy, although one of them was on my top ten games of the year and the other one was close to actually getting on, actually, I love that type of game. I mean, I come from the generation of, like, the old PS1 sort of stuff, like the Colony, C- Colony Wars. Oh, yeah, that was a great game. And all those sort of early space shoot 'em ups Yeah, Colony Wars was just so cool. It had, I mean, I, I hooked that up to my uh, home speakers, and we'd sit down and play it. It was just, you know, it had it had a really tight space combat kind of feeling with big booming sound effects. It was awesome. That was a good game. And I, I really do enjoy the fact that they've taken the spirit of those games and then infused a much more deeper tactics to them to add more depth. And But the problem for me is because working full-time and then coming home uploading things, doing these interviews, doing like a two-hour podcast every week. And, I mean, we've just set up our own record label and we're dealing with people on that to try to get an an album out in the next month or so. Um, I just don't have the time to actually sit and actually put hours and hours into a game. Same thing here, you know, it's it's my biggest, uh, well, two things, you know, I've, I've got to sort of try to balance my family life with development of the game and then still get some gameplay in, and what I found myself doing is um, picking up games that are a lot less in-depth that I can just hop into, like, for, ex- for example, and when I say not-so-in-depth games like Pillars of Eternity... I've been trying to get into that game and play it all the way through, but I just don't have the time. But what I have time to do is hop into Dark Souls 2 and play that for an hour and take out some aggression. <laughs> I don't know. Have you ever, have you played Dark Souls? I downloaded it when it was on sale on the 360 for about $2. Oh, wow. And I actually turned it on, walked through a corridor and thought, yep, it works, and turned it off and haven't gone back to it. <laughs> I think that was when I already had my Xbox One. Yeah. And they just dumped a load of games really cheap. Yeah. And I bought loads of them. I think even bought Witcher 2 for $2. Oh, wow. Nice. But I don't actually have my Xbox 360 set up anymore. Well, Dark Souls, for me, takes me back to a time where, you know, when you were playing games, they, they were really difficult. And I, I call it, I call it, you know, um, it's sort of a death progression game. You get, you've got to learn the moves, and as you're going through it, it's really difficult. You die a lot. Um, my hope for Stellar Tactics is it, it can never be a Dark Souls because it's not the same kind of game. But the game, the game does require some thought. So when you're playing the game, you're, you're probably going to die a lot until you get the hang of um, the various enemies that you're playing. Um, and I'm not saying it's going to, you're, you're not going to die as often as you do in Dark Souls. Dark Souls is, you know, it's all about punishment. Um, you're punished if you screw up something from a timing standpoint. In this game, you're punished if you 
don't use your action points appropriately. And that being that you find out that it's your turn and you haven't reloaded your weapon with the two action points you didn't use in the last round, um, something like that can, you know, cost cost one of your characters. Um, so, and and the other pe- the other thing about this too, people have asked me, you know, is there permanent death? And I, I I'm saying yes, there is permanent death in the game, but it is an option. I don't want people to play this game who don't like permanent death and not have the option to, you know, turn it off. It's actually the other way around. By default, death is not permanent, but there is an option for a Iron Man mode where you can make it permanent for non-story characters. So, um, I guess what I'm saying is that I really like difficult games, and this game, this game is going to be difficult in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think I grew up at a time when my favorite games are like Sega Rally, Ridge Racer, and I also like vertical shooters. So I mean, I do like the bullet hell games, which are really difficult. Yep. And like Sega Rally and that, they're not hard, but it's just a lot of fun, and it's just something you can turn on for ten minutes, have a couple of laps, and turn it off, and don't have to think about much. Yeah, that's where I'm at with games right now, too. I just don't have time to sit down for two or three hour gameplay sessions anymore, unfortunately. So I've I've found myself picking up games that I can kind of, you know, play for a little while, 10, 15, 20 minutes, and then get back to what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, I mean, you sort of say that, but I mean, mean, I'm nearly 35 now, and the last time I put yeah, that I can actually sit down and put loads of time in was maybe when I was about 22, 23. <laughs> well, then you didn't get the MMO bug. A lot of people did. And, you know, the MMOs were just a total time sink. So bad. You know, waiting for everybody to get together, waiting on a raid, going into a raid. I just... I didn't have time. I, I tried it for a while, maybe for six months or so, and, and then I just couldn't, like, I couldn't sink the time into games like that anymore. Not saying maybe you did have the MMO bug. I don't know. No. No, I didn't. Yeah. I mean, I've always, I've never really been a PC gamer. You're a console guy. All right. Yeah. Got it. So, um, when I look at games that sort of do the... The is it the Wazad sort of keyboard controls and mouse and I'm just no idea what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> no, I get it. I mean, even now I play with an Xbox controller. You know, most of the games I play are you know um, controller capable. Stellar Tactics likely won't be ever just because of the nature of you know the strategy combat. Um, yeah, I was I was going to ask that, but when I looked at the the Sort of like the teaser trailer, it did look as though it was like mouse controlled in the 3D space sort of a bit where you actually grab and rotate around sort of thing. Yeah, and I think I think um, I think so. With that control, like Homeworld, exactly. Yeah, and and my thought right now, I loved that as well. I love that game. Yeah, that was good, good stuff. Homeworld, Homeworld two. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to count it out though, because I think, and I'm. It is something that's in the back of my mind right now. It's not at the very top of my priority list, but I'd hate to see this game 
not playable with a controller. I, I think that I want to I want to keep my you know my options open um, and start looking at some of the uh, strategy games on consoles and see how they dealt with some of the issues related to it. Um, I think the biggest challenge is that you can target various body parts and stellar tactics and um, I'd have to come up with a means to do that um, with the controller where you're not trying to get a cursor uh, sort of positioned over a body part like you would with a mouse. So, for example, if you want to tar target the legs to cripple uh, an enemy so that their movement speed is decreased, which is actually there's an increase in AP usage when a character moves from a one location to another when their legs are crippled. Um, if I was using a controller, I'd need a means to um, allow that to happen a little bit easier uh, on a controller. Well, I mean, y you could sort of maybe devise something like the VATS sort of system where exactly. you select to attack yeah, so and then it stop and then you could actually go, move up and down to aim where you want to sort of attack. Yeah, and I, th I think that's a great idea. It's, it's definitely a good one. So you'd basically select your target and then, uh, you know, uh, you would press uh, the Y key or, or one of those keys to pull up um, a VATS-like menu that you can select the body part from that you're targeting. So that that's definitely a solution. I've played a lot of uh, Fallout Three and Four, um, so that that's a possibility. The other thing is just general movement. I'd want to look at um, you know XCOM and some other games and find out um, one of the things that you get to do in Stellar Tactics is preview when you're in combat um, how far you're allowed to move with the current amount of uh, action points that you have available. And so I'd need a means to do that also uh, by being allowing the user with you know the stick to uh, sort of highlight their target uh, movement location and uh, giving them a preview to do that. So, but I I think it's something I I really want to do. So what I what I need to do though is is put it a little bit on the back burner right now to get some of these other things taken care of. So I guess what I'm saying is yes. I want controller support. Because <laughs> when, if you were to implement the controller support and you actually got it right, like, I feel Rebel Galaxy just knocked it out of the park. Yeah. It just felt so well on the pad. Yeah, very tight. Very good. Time. I mean, I've not never even tried to do it without the control pad. I've just, it just played so well with that, you know. But... I think I've taken up much longer of your time than we arranged. Well, thank you, David. I appreciate it. It was a pleasure talking to you. I always I, I can just go on and on when I'm talking about games. So, believe me, it's so much better talking to someone like that. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to name any names, okay. but I was talking to someone a few months ago, and it was a, a someone that had just released a novel. Oh, so it's a totally and, different genre of, uh, yeah. <laughs> and it was like, oh, so tell me about the book. And literally a sentence in and then she stopped. It's like, I've, I've got another half now. What am I going to do? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I, like I said, you know, I've, I've been in the games business for a long time. And I, I just really love talking about it. It's a passion. Stellar Tactics is my baby. 
Um, you know, we're crossing our finger, fingers right now for the green light. It's looking good so far, but I can use as much help as I can get right now. And, um, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, if you just want to tell people how to find the green light page or go onto the website or tweets, anything like that, if you want to just mention all them. Sure. Um, so you can, you can actually link to my green light page from, uh, www.stellartactics.com. Uh, there's a big link up in the top under uh, underneath the video that you'll see at the top of the page. That'll link you directly in. Or in Steam itself, you can just go to uh, you know the search and search for it in the green light area, Stellar Tactics. And then I'm also on Facebook and Twitter, so at Stellar Tactics and uh, Facebook. Just do a search for Stellar Tactics; it'll pop up. All those places have links right now to the uh, green light. And uh, anybody. Uh, I'd, I'd like to thank anybody in advance for a yes vote. That would really help us uh, get this get this on Steam, which is a big, big deal for us right now. So, and I appreciate you uh, inviting me on your show. It's not a problem. It's an absolute pleasure. All right. Well, anytime you want to talk about Stellar Tactics, I'm here. So let me know. And hopefully, in let's say six months' time, we can have another chat when you'll have more firm details like release dates and price and things like that. That sounds good. Yep. Yeah, just just uh, let me know. It's not a problem. So uh, thank you, Don. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, guys. Justin here. I just wanted to say that I've been thinking about you. I've been thinking about you a lot. Yes, you in particular, in that way. And I wanted to say, I think you're great. I've always said that about you. And I was wondering, if you think we're great... If you could give us a quick rating on iTunes, we'd really appreciate it. It would really, really help us out in that, you know, podcasty sort of way. And if you're feeling particularly festive, perhaps even a little saucy, maybe stop by our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash O-U-G and see if you can't slip a few bucks our way. After all, every little penny or whatever space money they use in Europe helps out the show. Thanks for listening. O-U-G Gaming will always be free, but... With your support, we can always move forward and always be better.